Maybe some of you were expecting a Christmas sermon um, because we're singing Christmas songs, but um, in my view, every sermon is a Christmas sermon, right? God has come and His Word simply amplifies the fact that He has come and what He has to say to us. So we're going to continue in Colossians tonight in our verse-by-verse look of this amazing book. And I thought I would start this way. I'm going to describe a creature to you, and I want you to tell me what creature it is that I am describing. Uh, I suspect that Ed will do well on this. Um, Are you ready, Ed? This creature has two eyes and two ears. It's found on every continent but Antarctica. Most are wild, but some are domesticated. They have a relatively long neck, a roundish body. They feed on grass and plants, insects, worms, and fish. They are normally monogamous. They breed once a year. They have a large variety of predators, including man. They have feathers, two wings, two legs, two feet, and a bill. Who wants to guess? No guesses, huh? Okay, I'm going to give you the knockdown clues. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They waddle and they quack. What? Wrong. It's wrong. What am I talking about? Really, you don't know? A duck. Good job, Ed. I knew Ed would come through for me. A duck. So why am I starting in such a kind of, could I say, goofy way? Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, if you see a duck, you're never confused, right? You, you know that it's a duck. If you hear a duck, you're, you're never confused. You know it's a duck. You know the old saying, right? If it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and walks like a duck... It's a duck. So why am I starting like this? The same is true for Christians. (coughs) If you belong to Christ, I'm talking about, again, for those of you who are visiting, when when I talk about belonging to Christ, I'm not talking about belonging to a church only. I'm talking about being in love with Christ, right? If you really belong to Him, there is a walk, right? There's a walk that goes with the talk. So it's just a reality, biblically, historically, through the the years of the church, and, of course, personally for those of us who know the Lord. So staying with the duck analogy, is the ultimate clue of your spiritual identity the same as it is with a duck? Are you out there there doing the walk? (laughs) Does everybody in your orbit know who you belong to, this is what we are called to. If we know our New Testament, we understand. There's another old saying that actions speak louder than words. I had a, I had a good brother that was here for a number of years early on back in like 05, 06. And we would do Bible study all the time. And he would always say the same thing. He would say, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap cheap. And we know this is true. you got people all over the world talking all the time and accomplishing almost nothing profitable. Right? Talk is cheap. It's easy to talk. 
We're not called to simply talk. If the Christmas story is true, and we'll talk about it next week, if it's true, and of course it is true, we're called to walk it. I'm going to tell you next week, as I tell you every Christmas, that Christmas is about the incarnation of the Word, but it's about another incarnation. What is that? That you do it. It's the incarnation of the Word, and the implication is, if God has come in the flesh, He means for you to flesh out His Word in your life. So, these are some of the thoughts I had as I was looking at the text. The young adults are looking at this in James. I've mentioned this to you the last few weeks. We're studying verse by verse through the book of James. And James tells us, the half-brother of Jesus, not to be deluded, not to simply hear, but to do, right? Real Christians don't just hear and give mental assent or approval. Christians, real Christians do. We're not saved by what we do, but it's part of our maturation and sanctification. We become doers. It's what Christianity has always looked like. I couldn't help but think as I thought about some of the passages in our text tonight. I love Daniel eleven thirty two. 32. The people who know their God. Does anybody know how that ends? The people who do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploits. So I'm asking you at the outset. Is that what your Christianity looks like? Listen, man, it can't, just, it can't just be I believe stuff. I believe stuff and I go to church if it's not too inconvenient. Christianity has never sunk to that depth. Now, I know it has devolved to that degree in many people's minds, but it's not that. Jesus never called us to that. He said, follow me. And Jesus was a doer, right? <laughs> he was a doer. He was strong, and he did exploits. I love Daniel eleven thirty two. We're not called to boring, manageable, careful religious lives. That's not what we're called to. We're called to radically love and radically follow the Lord Jesus in the world. So what is an exploit? What is an exploit? It's any, okay, in a Christian context, it's anything you do that makes much of Christ. Even if it's just only between you and God. You know, this is something I've learned in the last few years. There's a ton of stuff going on between me and God nobody ever sees, including my wife. Right? You know, it's an exploit for me to just think rightly about God. Biblically about God, you know, to think rightly about God in my circumstance and not be full of anxiety and fear and worry. I'll just look at a, an almighty God. Why don't I do that? Right? That's what we're called to do. To look at him and trust him. This is an exploit. Listen, I really believe there are going to be more heart and mind exploits between you and your maker than actual exploits that people in the world can identify, right? I'm starting to understand this with God, right? This, this, uh, this vertical exploit thing that's going on between me and Him. When He knows I'm simply delighting in Him in the hard circumstance. Or I'm simply delighting in Him in this, in this trial or this difficulty or, or whatever. 
It's a vertical exploit. I love that. Of course, we know what Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are Christ's workmanship created in him for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, I get this question sometimes. Well, what are the good works I was prepared for? You don't have to ask this question. Just love God. Follow God. The works will flow. You don't have to be, you don't have to be concerned about what God is saying in Ephesians 2.10 specifically for you. It's not about specifics. It's, it's about, I'm going to follow God. The works will spill out. I'm going to love God. I'm going to make much of God. I'm going to obey God. The works will spill out. The works will spill out. I love that. You don't have to, get, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about these things. You can trust the Lord and just walk the talk, man. Just look at Him, love Him, obey Him, and you will walk the talk. You will do it. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made to do fearful and wonderful God-prepared works, to do exploits, even if they're just between you and Him, vertical. Right? Man, there's a lot of... You, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's just a whole lot of vertical stuff that needs to be going on every day. So I'm going to ask you, how much vertical stuff is going on every day? Are you hearing Him? Are you talking to Him? Are you listening to Him? Are you being changed by Him? I mean, there's a ton of vertical stuff that needs to be going on every single day. I'll, I'll, I'll own it, at least for me. Now, maybe you're way more spiritual than I am. But man, I need for the vertical stuff to be happening all the time. I'll just wander off in my mind, you know? And entertain silly things. Entertain fear and anxiety. You've probably, all, you've probably heard this said. I, I've repeated it to you several times over the years. You walk into your... This is an accusation by an American theologian. You walk into your average American church and you find a bunch of bored people. I don't know what it's like where you're from. But can I say, if you're bored with God, you don't know Him. You've never met Him. You, have, you don't have the first clue about Him. If you've met the living God, the God who speaks galaxies into existence, this God, if you've met that God, the God who takes on flesh and, and bleeds out for His people, if you've met that God, you will not be bored with Him. I can assure you. If you've met Him, you will be strong and you will be doing exploits, even if they're simply vertical today. Listen, I... I I, I really like this new, this new mindset that the Lord has helped me come to. You can make much of God and delight your Creator and your Redeemer with just the vertical between you and Him stuff. Yeah, we're called to be in the world. And of course we are in the world. I don't think we have any monks in here. We're in the world. But man, there's a whole lot of beautiful worship nobody ever knows about but you and God, right? I love it. that You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the John 21 thing with Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? What did Peter say? You know I love you, God. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You don't have to tell God 
that you love Him. He knows you love Him. It's way down here. And it's going on. It's invisible to an onlooker, but it's going on between you and Him. Boring Christianity is an oxymoron. It is an oxymoron. It is the <laughs> quintessential definition of an oxymoron. Uh, boring Christianity just means that some religious people have co-opted it and tried to manage it into a brain-dead formula. But real Christianity walks with the living God. It's what we're going to talk about tonight. And God was a doer, right? God is a doer. He's a doer. <laughs> He's called you to be a doer. God's people do. Again, not for our salvation, but because we know Him and we love Him and we're empowered by who He is. And we, are, we can be bold. We can be fearless. It's like cheating, right? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Knowing God, the real God, the sovereign God, the omnipotent God, it's like cheating. You don't ever have to really be afraid again. You don't have to ever really shrink back ever again because my father is Yahweh. He's El Shaddai. He does whatever he pleases. So I will not shrink back. I will not be afraid. Okay, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to get into the text. You know, I almost always have to get to back to Hebrews 11. Real men, real women with real faith and a real God making a real impact in the real world. That's what God has called you to do. And me as well. So we're going to conclude the application section of the book of Colossians tonight. Um, Paul has been pointing at the deity of Christ and he's blown away all the Christ plus something gospels, right? He's blown them away. Yes, it's blasphemy to add anything to Jesus. If you're ever in a church and they try to add something to Jesus, you know it's blasphemy. You know that it's demonic. You know where it's coming from. You don't add anything to Christ. His work is sufficient to save His people. This is what we've heard about Jesus so far in Colossians. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's eternal. He's redeemer. He is all the fullness of God. He exercises sovereign rule and authority over all. You don't add anything to Him. In chapter 3, the Holy Spirit does what He always does. He transitions from, from, uh, from theology to application. We've been talking a lot about that. This is something that the Spirit of God always does. The Holy Spirit says if, it's real, if you've really been raised up with Christ, remember how He started? Was it chapter 3? If you... If, that's a big if, chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised up with Christ, what? Keep doing it. Keep seeking the things above. Don't get distracted. I can't tell you how many distracted Christians I run into, right? It's like something's more important than God, really. Explain to me how that's possible. You say, well, Jim, I have this problem, I have that problem, I have this problem. Listen, I'm... I'm an old man. I've, I've been through all your problems, probably. And none of them are more important than Jesus Christ. And none of them are bigger than the, the capacity 
of Jesus Christ to handle whatever circumstance you are in. So the Holy Spirit is calling us to not just talk it, but to walk it. Everyone's supposed to know who you belong to. So tonight the Holy Spirit reminds us where this talking and walking thing begins. Okay, this is where it starts. This is where the vertical stuff starts every day, right? Okay, chapter 4 beginning verse 2 through 4. Colossians 4 beginning verses 2 through 4. Listen to this first word here. I don't know what your translation is. Mine is devote. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open uh, to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mysteries of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. We know that Paul is writing from prison. Verse 4, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So where does this walking begin? Now we may be good talkers, but where does the walking begin? How are we empowered to do the walking thing? Well, what does the Bible say? What does it say right there? We're devoted to communion with God, right? It's who we are. It's our oxygen. It's our bread. It's our meat. We must be in that relationship. Man, I've got to be talking to him, and I've got to be hearing from him, right? This is effectively what Paul is saying. It starts in the prayer closet. Our talking, walking Christianity is fed through the relationship. If you don't have the relationship, you can be a church member and a church goer, but you'll never be a Christ follower. Never. You'll never follow him in the world when it gets hard. You will never do it unless the vertical thing is going on and it's real and it's powerful. And it, I can only tell you from my experience, you know, yeah, you simply can't, it can't be business as usual anymore when we're in a relationship with the living God. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. God doesn't say, he doesn't just say pray. He says give yourself to it. And prayer is not just some holy thing you do. It's just relationship. It's like any other relationship you have with anyone in your life. That's what it is. It's relationship. I'm talking. I'm listening. I'm watching. I'm learning. And of course with God you're able to give off your burdens, right? You're able to just give them off to Him. And if you trust Him and know Him and love Him, you'll, you know, have peace in that. You can, you can have peace in giving the burden off to God. It doesn't even matter how He answers. It doesn't matter if He says yes. That doesn't matter. What matters is you're in relationship with the living God. That's what matters. You want something more than that? I'm sorry, I don't understand it. You want, 
You want something worse, something temporal. You want it worse than the, the unbelievable, unspeakable, inexpressible blessing of being in relationship with the Creator? Beloved, if God says no, praise God for the no. I always tell you this, right? The no's as good as a yes with God. I love, I, I was thinking, I was talking to a guy this week, you know, momentary light afflictions. You got problems? I know you got problems. I got problems. Paul says these are momentary light afflictions. The problem is we don't believe it. We just think our latest crisis is the end of the world. It's a, it's a crisis of cosmic proportion. I need God to show up and do a God thing, right? Hey, if you're already in a conversation with God, <laughs> okay, listen, man, I'm telling you. If you're already in the conversation, these are momentary light afflictions. We need to understand this, beloved. We need to understand this. We need to delight in this. This is the prayer thing that uh, I'm, I'm trying to... God willing, paint a picture here. He says, give yourself to it. Continue in it. Persevere in it. Persist. Be diligent. You can't walk the talk without first talking with God. And as many people, they always completely, seemingly, totally forget there's the listening aspect, which is pretty much what goes on all day for me. It's right. It's talking and listening. I do this. This is the pray without ceasing thing. I never terminate the conversation. I, I don't. This is the, the best, you know, the most satisfying, deepest, most pleasure, I guess, offering of, of, uh, to me is to learn to pray like this. Just never, I never terminate the conversation. I like what John Piper says about this, that God is our default mindset. Whatever comes, blessing comes today or hardship comes today. Praise God for it. We know he's doing something. We may not understand it, but that's immaterial. I don't have to understand it. Oftentimes you won't understand it. You won't understand it. We're not called to understand. We're called to believe. We're called to trust. Six times in the New Testament. We are called to be devoted in, to prayer. What is he saying? That we're on our knees 24-7? That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're in the conversation 24-7. We're in the conversation. Except when we're asleep, right? <laughs> we're in the conversation. We're always listening. Speak, Lord. It's another thing one of my favorite theologians says. We're always in that position. Speak, Lord. Speak to me in the circumstance, right? Speak to me. Don't let me just simply react out of my flesh. Speak to me that I might react out of my spirit. Ephesians 6.18. Pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Just a couple of quick examples of some of the things that the Bible says about prayer. So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? I've already told you. It's being in the conversation, the mental mindset of, Oh, Lord. All that comes to me today, oh Lord, show me. It's yours. Show me your way. Show me your, you know, one thing I like to say to people, and this is, I just ask God for his mind all the time. 
God, give me your mind on this. I just want his mind on this. Whatever's in front of me, I want your mind on this. That's all I want. So we can be word doers. If we've got that mindset, oh Lord, give me your mind. We can be doers. We can be free, right? We can be bold. We can do exploits. Good times, hard times, mundane times. It doesn't really matter what the circumstances are. And of course, we have these punctuated times of prayer where we are, um, where we are in the prayer closet. But what I find for me personally, and I'm just sharing with you, I just love being in the conversation all day long. I do love it. You say, well, Jim, you're a theologian. You sit at a desk and you think about the God all the time. You don't really, you don't really do anything meaningful. <laughs> you're not in the real world like the rest of us. Well, listen, I used to be in the real world just like you. So I know how it works. And I, I used to try to do my secular job without God. And then I learned to, you know, give it to God. And, and may I tell you, there's a huge difference there. A huge difference. I won't belabor that point. There's only one reason a professed Christian doesn't pray. And that's because he or she thinks they don't need God, which means you're no Christian at all. You may be a church member. Church members don't need God. All you have to do is show up and sit in a chair and, and smile and nod and then leave. Church members don't need God. Christians need God. Followers of Christ need God because you can't go where he's going and where he's calling you to go lest the relationship be real. So... We know Paul's trials. We've talked about them many times. <clears throat> Tremendous trials and burdens and beatings and imprisonments. Momentary light afflictions. <laughs> Do you ever stop and think about this? What if you were being beaten because you profess to be a Christian? What if you were beaten for that? What if you were imprisoned for that? Have you ever thought about it? And he's in, he's in prison <laughs> and he's writing the Bible, right? While he's in Rome, he's, he's, he writes like, while he's in prison in Rome, he, he writes like five books of the Bible. And what are you and I doing? We're wringing our hands because it's, God didn't give me the yes and it's awful and, and I'm a victim. Christians are not victims ever. Ever. We understand who we are. We understand we're usurpers and rebels and that we are saved by grace alone. So I would ask you, beloved, are you like Paul in this? No matter what the circumstances are, are you in the vertical conversation? Can you just open your hands with it and give it to God and rejoice and give thanks? Because these are momentary light afflictions. I was telling this brother this week, everything is a win-win. If you get the no, it's a win-win. If it goes as bad as it possibly can go, but you know Christ, it's a win-win. 
You will receive eternal blessing as you make much of Christ in your temporal trials. We are simply stewards making much of God. Yeah, here it is in my notes. He wrote Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. <laughs> Why he's in prison. What do you do when it gets hard? Don't you hate it? When you get into that mindset and you just, you, you, you know, and you just start to worry and feel sorry for yourself. Don't you hate that? I despise this. I absolutely despise this when I can feel it coming. I mean, I have to take, I have to take my thoughts captive, right? I have to consciously turn and look at God and be in awe. You know, if you need to reread that book we studied last, last year, be in awe. If you're not in awe, there's something wrong. You've gotten lazy in your Christianity if you're not in awe. You're supposed to be in awe. God expects you to be in awe. Only people in awe do 11, Daniel 11.32, right? Only people in awe do exploits. Church members who are not in awe don't do exploits. They just attend church sometimes. This is what they do. Okay, I got to move on. Five and six. Colossians 4. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be, I love this, with what? Grace, seasons as it were, with what? Salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. This is the literal, the literal Greek. Conduct yourselves. The literal Greek is how you walk. That's why I started with the whole duck thing, right? How you walk. So why has God left you on the planet? Why are you here? Those of you who've been around for a while, you should be able to answer this question. Why are you still here? To have a career, to have a nice family, to make some money, to, you know... Uh, be a philanthropist to do, to do good work and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not why you're here. You're here because you are to be an evangelist. You're on the Matthew, is it 28 project? That's your project. What? Go and what? Make disciples. Make disciples in your orbit, in your family, at your work, in the neighborhood. Your job is to be an evangelist. It would be way better if God just took you to heaven, right? It would be way better in every Respect and regard. It would be way better to just be in heaven with Christ. He's left you here for one reason. Matthew 28. That's the only reason he's left you here. To make disciples. Teaching them all that God has commanded. It's the only reason we're here. It's not about your romance and your marriage and your career. Yes, these are, these are things that... that God gives us pleasure in, but these are subordinate to our, what? Supreme pleasure, which is Jesus Christ. We don't deify our families. We don't deify our careers. We make disciples. It's why He's left us on the planet, the Holy Spirit says, conduct yourselves with this in mind. Matthew 28. <laughs> Why you are 
here. And in my mind, this sums up Colossians perfectly. Jesus is God. He's God and he's been nailed to a tree. He's radically loved and saved us in the most breathtaking way. And then the Holy Spirit says, what are you going to do with that? Is it just going to be religion? Are you going to be like an average Muslim or an average Hindu or an average Jew? Is it just religion to you like the rest of the world? Or has it changed the way you live when you wake up in the morning? (laughs) Every single day. Does it change the way you live? Paul says, conduct yourselves with wisdom to walk the talk in wisdom. The Bible tells us how to obtain wisdom. Just a couple of quick verses. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear the Lord, you can read my new book. It'll be out in February. (laughs) Trust me, you'll fear the Lord when you read it. I can only tell you how blessed I've been in writing it. I can only tell you how, been, how dramatically I've been affected. How much more humble I am before God. It's just all Bible. James 1. If any man lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask who? You know, God. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Colossians 1. Paul says, we proclaim him teaching every man with all wisdom. God willing, that's why you're sitting here tonight. You're sitting under the preached word of God. These are the ways that we get wisdom. I love what John Piper says in this regard. American preacher, there is never a dull or insignificant moment for the Christian who is radically devoted to shrewd use of every moment for eternity. Are you investing... Are you investing heavily in eternity, right? Are you sowing into eternity? If nothing else right now, just the, the vertical mental worship and love that's, that's being communicated between you and God. And of course, that will always be translated into action. Into the world. Verse 6, let your talk be gracious and salty, right? Let it be salty, you know? It means that, that it's distinct. It's not bland. It's not like what all the garbage you hear on the media all the time. You know, the brain dead, heart dead, brainless, thoughtless, boring, uninteresting mantra day after day after day. The Bible has a distinct flavor, Right? It bites and it stings and it heals and preserves. It's just like salt. (laughs) I love that analogy. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. So our, our, our speech is salty because we are God's evangelists. Yes, we know the world will ridicule us. Ridicule us. We know that men don't want to hear it. We know that we will incur the unbeliever's anger and wrath, but we speak truth and our our speech is graciously salty. Just a couple of verses and I'm done. This is a a verse that a brother showed me many years ago and it's just how Karen and I do ministry, okay? And God willing, you might think about adopting it for the way you do ministry. I love it. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Paul writes, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. 
if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. This is what we are. We're evangelists sowing good seed, right? We're just sowing the good seed. That's what we are. I love that text. Also, listen to 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Right? <laughs> it's what we are. We're supposed to be evangelists. Let me just read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that. Of that. I, I think it's powerful. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention. In adoration before Christ, your master, be ready to speak up. Tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you live. And always with the utmost courtesy. You know, you watch the media very much and you've got the left and the right and they're always red faced and they're always yelling at each other, right? Everybody's yelling at each other. And you realize what God has called us to do, right? <laughs> we just sow the seed. Just sow the good seed. And you've got to love Titus 2.10. This, this is the walking the talk thing. In four or five words, it's so beautiful. Some of you will recognize it when I read it to you. We are called to adorn the doctrine of God. So let me ask you, are you adorning the doctrine of God in your orbit? Is it beautiful? Is the doctrine of God beautiful to those around you? Is it alluring? Is it interesting? Is it thought-provoking? Is it convicting? Is it encouraging? And we know that unbelievers around us don't always, they don't always respond in a positive way. And as I've already said in the sermon, sometimes we are hated because we are the light. But our, our goal is to adorn the doctrine of God. To walk the talk. So God's left you on the planet to be His evangelist. It's Operation Matthew 28. He means for you to walk the talk. He means for you to walk in the good works that He has prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. And I don't want you to ever forget, and I'm done. Don't ever forget. I don't want you to ever forget Daniel 11.32. I think it's I, it's either the King James or New King James translation. The people who do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall walk the talk. They shall do exploits because they are in relationship with El Shaddai. What was the name? And I'm done. Yes, I remember. It, it came to me. Praise God, you never know at my age. Let me say it before I forget it. Um, you know, Jehovah Jireh. You know the story with Abraham, right? There was a ram in the bush. The God who sees to it. Jehovah Jireh. The God who sees to it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the text. Every text is a Christmas text. Every text is about Jesus. 
We can't help but worship. What a mighty, what a mighty God. What an incredible gospel. What an unfathomable truth that you have loved us and saved us. So Lord, I pray that we would indeed learn to incarnate Daniel 11.32, that we would know you and that we would walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would be willing to do exploits. It's all win-win. It's, it's never not win-win. Even if it's the worst day of my life in relationship with you, it's win-win. Because even in my heartache and grief and turmoil, I can make much of Christ. And that's ultimately what matters. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to live like this. To know these things are true. To own them. To love them. To incarnate them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Lord, we thank you for the food that's been brought tonight. I pray that each one of us have a few minutes we can stop and hang around and have some food and fellowship just for a few minutes. Again, we thank you for the provision. We pray that you bless it to us in the beautiful name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and I'll close with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Hope you can stay for a few minutes. If not, have a great week. Hope to see you next time. God bless.